Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us here in this place. And to those who are watching online, thank you for being with us. My name is Ray, one of the pastors here at Calvary. If I haven't met you before, thank you for being with us today. Ah. Isn't it just good to be here? I know it's rain. It, it, you know, it may start raining later today, but you know what? Let's just enjoy the presence of the Lord. Is that okay? I mean, I'm, yeah, okay, we'll pray for the sun. I mean, let's not you know, go overboard here, but we can pray for sunshine. And We serve a, a great God, don't we? And, uh, you know, even as I start this third time speaking this, I just want to slow down a little bit and just rest in his presence. Not get so busy and rushed that we can't just pause and just say, thank you, Lord, for who you are. We're going to, normally we'd have you stand for the reading of the word, but we're not going to do that today. I'd like to do it a little different. Uh, they're going to put the, in fact, why don't you put those, that verse up there for me. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to ask that the Holy Spirit of the Lord would illuminate our hearts and minds with the word. And then what you're going to do, we're going to do is we're going to read this three times. We're going to read it twice silently and once out loud. And we're going to pray that the Lord is going to draw out things for you in this passage of scriptures, we deal, we come to the sixth church of, of Revelation, to the message to the sixth church, Philadelphia. I really want, uh, for me, I want the word to go deep in my soul today. How about you? I mean, let's be honest. It, the word is, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, is the principal architect of why we come together. And so let's, uh, let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, let your word go deep within us. Let it permeate our hearts and minds, our very being. We pray that as we read this passage that your spirit is going to just bring things to mind. We're going to start thinking about different phrases that we see in this that speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So take just a moment and read that through twice if you can. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. That was cool. Yet you have kept my words and have not denied my name. This is the message of our Lord to the church at Philadelphia. This last week I just spent, I got to spend a week uh, across the border up north at Regent College taking a class on, on the spirituality of Puritans, which doesn't sound all that exciting, didn't to me either. But I found uh, a richness and a depth to their desire to follow Jesus that I need in my life. And uh, it gave me a lot to think about and ways to adjust the workings of God in my life as we all should be praying, Lord, what are you saying to me? What do you want in my life? What, what needs to change? What needs to be brought into my life? What needs to be pushed out of my life? 
according to what you're saying to me. My prayer for you is we head into Sumner, and I believe Sumner's going to arrive, if not now, maybe in August. Uh, as summer arrives, that each of us gets to take some time and just spend it in the presence of the Lord. Finding a couple days, a day here, maybe a few hours here, where you can just focus in on the word and worship, allowing the spirit of the Lord to speak into your heart and life so that the Lord can speak something fresh and new to you. If you struggle with figure, uh, knowing what to do in a day of, of retreat, give us a call because we can help you with that. We'd love for everyone to just have that day and we can give you all the information that you need. Uh, if you take the time, I promise the Lord will meet you there. So we're at the fifth, excuse me, the sixth church, Philadelphia. And this is the second church where these dreaded words are not spoken. Those words that say this, but I have this against you. Not here, not in this group. I mean, they're, they're doing the stuff. They didn't lose their first love. They remained loyal to Jesus when the pressure was on. They did not tolerate ideas, that spirit of Jezebel that we talked about two weeks ago, contrary to the gospel. They boldly confessed Jesus is Lord of all. Though they had little strength, they persevered. Though things were going against them, they persevered. In difficult times when the world was going crazy, they persevered. There is no call to repentance to the church at Philadelphia. This is a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of commendation. You can almost hear Jesus say, hey, you guys, well done. Well done for, for how you've been living. You've kept my word and not denied my name. Uh, Jesus, as we get back into the teaching of Revelation, Jesus always spoke into the context of the people that were there. If Jesus were speaking today, he would speak to your context, to my context. Well, back then, he was speaking to theirs. In each church, Jesus always used language that they could appreciate. He used language they could identify with. He used something that would, would speak to their personal lives. And even so, he does that today for us. For instance, next week, we'll talk about the church at Laodicea. Well, that was a church that he said these words. If you remember, uh, you're neither hot nor cold. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Remember that? that, that that's a heavy-duty one. Well, it, we've been privileged to be in the area where Laodicea was, and you can look up and you can see the snow-capped mountains. Scott and Lori went with us on that trip, and uh, then you know that right over here, there's the hot springs. So Jesus, they quickly identified with what Jesus was saying. You're neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. And so uh, Jesus wanted to apply his message to how people were living in that day. And Jesus wants to do the same for us today. The city of Philadelphia was intended as a Greek missionary outpost. In other words, the Greeks, the Hellenists, wanted to send their message, they wanted to send their language, their culture, their philosophy to parts in Lydia and Phrygia and literally to the world. They, it was a missionary outpost of all things Greek. And it, was, it also had good soil. They could plant grapes and get some really good wine. Uh, people enjoyed living there because the land was so fertile, but they lived in fear. They lived in fear. They lived near a volcano. Aren't you glad we don't? <laughs> but they, they lived in fear. And so every time a tremor or a quake would happen, they would run out of the city. They were scared. They, they were movable. They would, if, if a quake or a tremor happened, they would gather the family and say, let's go, and they would run. Some people were so frightened. Uh, one commentator said they didn't even sleep in the city at night. They slept in little huts outside the city because they were frightened of what could take place. Rightfully so, in 17 AD, there was an a, a, a earthquake that destroyed the entire city, and it had to be rebuilt. So fear, my point is, was commonplace, and they would run, their fear was demonstrated, remember this, by running out and running back, running out and running back. Now listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse 12, the one who conquers, I'm going to jump all the way to what we're going to end 
end with, or start with, which should be the ending, but now we're starting with it. The one who conquers, listen, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own name. Here's what Jesus is saying, and maybe you picked up on this. Remain faithful. Remain faithful, and you won't have to run anymore. Remain faithful and you won't have to be afraid. Remain faithful and I will protect. You will find safety in the city of God, the new Jerusalem. You will be, here's the, here's the key part. You'll be like a pillar in my house, immovable and safe. What he's telling people who are on the run, he said, if you, if you believe in me and you hang close with me, even though you have little strength, I'll make you a pillar and you'll be immovable. Nothing will push you away. Nothing will make you run. You won't have to be afraid because you will be a pillar in, in the, the temple of, of my God, in, in the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven with my own name. He's saying, you won't have to run. You will find safety in the city of God, the new Jerusalem. You will be like a pillar in my house, immovable and safe. Nothing will make you afraid or cause you to run. The name of God will be upon you and you will be my people. That's what Jesus is saying through John the Revelator. Powerful stuff. That ought to make you feel good because the application to them is the application to us. What makes them feel good ought to make you feel good, ought to make me feel good. That God knows what you fear, that God knows what makes you afraid, what causes you to run, and he said, if you remain faithful, you won't have to run, and someday you're gonna live in the new Jerusalem. That's what he says to us today. Daryl Johnson wrote, I, I can't improve on what he wrote, he said these words, here's our application. He said, I am your security, your unshakable foundation. In all your going and coming, your fleeing and returning, I remain your, the same. My presence is not disturbed by geological, economical, or political disorder. That's the application for you, that God's bigger. That no matter if Mount Rainier goes or not, no matter if inflation goes to a, a, another 30, 40%, no matter how crazy they get it back in D.C., or down in Olympia, it doesn't matter because the Lord, your God, has given you his son Jesus to die on the cross and you will one day live in the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah, glory to God. That ought to make us feel good. Remember this, your God's bigger than what's out there. Your God is bigger than the craziness that we see. Be reminded that God will make you a pillar in his house, steadfast and immovable. Feel confident the name of Jesus is on you and you belong to him. Feel secure because as I've said two or three times already, you and I will live in the new Jerusalem and no earthquake, no physical thing that could happen, no emotional crisis, no cultural upheaval will steal you from his holy place if we are in Christ Jesus. So be encouraged today. Don't let the rain steal your joy. I got more joy for you than the rain. I, we got Jesus. We win. So just shake your finger at that rain and say, you go, come on. Well, don't say come on down because we don't want to encourage it. But, <laughs> but just say, I, I have joy in Jesus no matter what. That and a ticket to Phoenix. So no, I'm kidding you. Be encouraged today. Okay, here's the key point. It's found in verse seven, which we read earlier. The words of the Holy One. The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. In all of the churches, Jesus reveals his character. You gotta get that today. Just look at that for a minute. What, what, what are the characteristics you see in that passage of scripture? The words of the what? The holy one. The character of, of the Lord is holy. There is none like him. The Old Testament, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. He's holy today. What else do you see? He is the what? The true one. 
He is the true one. He is holy. He is true. That's from a Greek word that means Jesus is authentic. He is genuine and real today. He is authentic and real and genuine today. In in a world of lies, Jesus can be trusted. Mull that over in your head. In a world of lies, Jesus can be trusted. The Bible also says that he holds the key, has the authority and access to what? I'll tell you in a minute, but that's taken from Old Testament. Elikiam was the treasurer of, uh, of King David. He held the key. So when he shut the door, it remained closed. If he opened the door, it remained open. And John's referring to this. Jesus holds what? He holds the keys to the kingdom. He is the key to salvation. He is the key to grace. Everything about your walk centers on Jesus having access, the authority and the access to do something powerful in your life and in mine because of who Jesus is today. Revelation 1.18 would say this. He told us that Jesus holds the key, not only the keys of the kingdom, but he holds the keys over death and over the grave today. Aren't you excited about that? Friends, I may not say anything that pushes all your buttons, but that ought to make you happy. I mean, for crying out loud, he, he holds the keys to the kingdom of God, the opportunity of salvation and grace. He holds the key over death and over the grave. These things don't win because of Jesus Christ. He is holy, he is true, and he has authority to open doors that no one can shut and close doors that no one can, can open. What does that mean? That, that, that demonstrates the power, the sovereignty, the omnipotence of, of who God is. That no matter what you think is big in your life, God's bigger. That no matter what you think win, ultimately will lose in, in, the, in, the, in the glory of who Jesus is. And we need to recognize that today. He is sovereign Lord of all. Now here's the problem. In the Old Testament, the words holy and true reserved for God alone. And the Judaism didn't care for this Jesus who came on the scene. So you can imagine how, how ballistic they went when, when those believers in Jesus started using those words, he, Jesus, is holy and true. I mean, it just, it fried them. It, it made them so angry that they, they began to ostracize those who were their brothers and sisters in Judaism. But when they became believers, they got kicked out. They were kicked out. They were, they were persecuted. When that designation, which Jesus used for himself, by the way, They were excommunicated. They were disowned. The door of fellowship was closed. Now get that. The door of fellowship was closed. No longer could the believers in Christ fellowship with the people that they'd grown up with. The people that they knew and loved. They were disowned. All the believers had was Jesus. But that's okay because you're going to find Jesus is more than enough. Contrast to what Jesus said to these people who had been persecuted and pushed around and disowned. He said this. He said, listen, I know your works. I know your works. I know what's happening in your life. I know those who have shut the door on you. I know what's taking place in your life. He said, behold. That word behold means to see. It means to look. Look, see, something beyond what what the physical can see. Here's what Jesus is saying. I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. Well, this first instance, he's talking about two things, but the first one is salvation. He's saying, you can come to me and, and no one's gonna shut the door on you. No one's going to turn you away. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. That's salvation, that's grace. To those who are willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ through thick and thin, through all the stuff that's happened in our culture and in our world, he says, I have prepared an open door for you that no one can close. Hallelujah. I mean, that ought to make you excited just about grace today. 
Jesus holds the key to the house of David, the key to the kingdom of God, and he will open the door so by which we can be saved through his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus is saying he will open a door and nobody's going to close it on you. Nobody's going to close it on you. It's funny, as I say that, I had a childhood memory just pop into my head of when I was around five years old. Someone shut the door on my hand, the car door, and it hurt. Isn't that funny how memories just come back to you? First, first time. Say, well, I'm surprised, Ray, you remember that far back. Well, I can. <laughs> Jesus says, I will not close the door. It's, it's a door of opportunity. Walk through it today. This is the open door of grace and salvation. Jesus, that open door thing, by the way, Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said this. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. In other words, there are two doors. There's the door that everyone walks to walk through because it's cool, because it's pleasing, it touches our senses, it makes us feel good, it, it, it just, it, it lights up all of our life. That, everyone wants to walk through that door and that's wide because there's a lot of people that go through it. But Jesus is saying there's also another door that's really kind of narrow. And it comes down to your faith in Jesus Christ, not your good works, not how, how talented you are or anything, but there's this door that is pretty narrow that says, walk through this if you, want, if you find faith in me. Walk through the open door of salvation and grace. You can walk through this. Now, the Bible says this is a stumbling block to the world around us because no one really wants to follow Jesus, right? People want to follow ourselves. We want to follow crazy people. We want to follow, we want to follow, blech. I, I couldn't come up with words, so I just went, blech. And yet Jesus said, follow me, follow me. And so that's a stumbling block when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Gets kind of awkward in certain conversations. So here it is. The first door is the open door of salvation. The second door is the open door of opportunity. And everybody I've read see those two doors. Now the door of opportunity is kind of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he said, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. He said two things. At Ephesus, there's this open door, and I'm going to walk through it, but there's a lot of obstacles and opposition. He said in 2 Corinthians, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door, this concept of open doors. I think sometimes we take it too far. Well, hey, there's an open door over here if it feels good. I'm not, we, we need to probably talk at some point about how to recognize open doors and, and closed doors, but that's a whole other message. But this is the door of open, uh, uh, door of opportunity. Opportunity to do what? In a nutshell, three things. Well, actually one thing, but for me it'd be three things. One thing would be this, the opportunity to share the gospel. Friends, on a, on a whim, I'll just say this. We're coming out of COVID. We're coming out of a pandemic you may not know this, but I'm recognizing this. People's thought process is a lot different. Being, hanging out for two years, doing something different, not showing up, not being part. The way we think is entirely different. I'll give you for instance. Uh, we have opportunities for, to serve at Vacation Bible School and uh, youth camp this summer. Before COVID, if I'd have got up here and I'd made a plea, I'd have had more help than we needed. It's interesting that this year we're, we're pulling teeth. I'm just, can I be honest with you about stuff like that? We're pulling teeth. Why? Because culture is different. Even in the church, the culture is different. People are, are struggling. We're struggling to re-engage. 
Everyone still awake and with me? It's because we've changed our thoughts. And so we need a Holy Spirit movement in our minds to rejuvenate and renew our minds. Say, you know what? There's this open door of opportunity to reach this generation for Christ. 350 young people going to camp. That's a big deal. Five, 600 young people are children at VBS, some of which are my grandchildren. That's a big deal. So things, opportunities to share the gospel. Jesus knew that opportunities come with two things, obstacles and opposition. Obstacles and oppositions. We don't like it, but it's there. This church at Philadelphia, he said this, and maybe this resonates with you and me. I know you have little power. I know you have little power. They lacked the resources in their own strength to overcome their problems. They just didn't have it. They didn't have the energy. They didn't have the strength. They couldn't do it in their own strength. But isn't that the point of following Jesus? Friends, we're not called to live in our own strength. We're called to live in his strength. Just nod your head because it's true. We're not called to, to live in our own power. We're called to live in his power. We're not called to attempt things that just requires me. We need to attempt things that require God. To follow him, we can't do it in our own strength, but we need the Holy Spirit of the Lord to infuse and to empower us to live the life following Jesus. It doesn't happen in our own strength or power because I don't think it was designed that way. In fact, the Bible says quite the opposite. He says, listen, in my weakness, Paul said, I'm made strong. In my weakness, I learned to rely upon him. In my, in my lack of strength, I have to rely upon him because I have nothing for me. I can't do it in my own. And that's the call of the church. To attempt great things for God that require more than our strength or our intelligence or our skill sets. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Lives in me. His spirit lives within us to help us attempt to, to great things. You know, through 30 some years of ministry, I'll be honest, there have been those moments I've done things in my own strength. But the times that really, that were wow factors and wow moments were the times I did something that said, God, I can't do this apart from you. I need your strength. We need your power to do these things. Things that cannot be done apart from God showing up in powerful ways. Now, here's the thing. And I was reading a book by Daryl Johnson, and he said this. He said, when you have little power or face opposition, the danger is what Daryl Johnson calls huddling. In other words, God calls you to walk through an open door of opportunity and and, and you're, you're a little scared, you're a little frightened. And so you pull back and you say something like this in your heart or in your mind. Let, let, let's lay low until this passes and then we'll re-engage. Kind of like now after COVID. Or let's wait until the storm passes. Or we look around and say, you know what? Us four and no more is actually a good concept. Or we'll get missional at a better time. Or we'll find purpose when it's more convenient. You know what? That's all based in fear. And the Bible says what about fear? He has not given us the spirit of fear. It's time to re-engage. Here's the point. Uh, we're not called to huddle. Uh, though, uh, though we have little power, we're not called to huddle, but to walk through the open door and tell people about the open door. Our mission is, get this, our mission is to open the door to tell people about the open door of Jesus. Our mission is to, to walk through the open door to tell people about the open door. 
that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for them, that Jesus has given a spirit to live within us, that one day Jesus is coming back to establish his new Jerusalem and, and we're going to be pillars in the house of the Lord, this new place. This is our door of opportunity. If we don't huddle, no huddling, no huddling. Max Lucado in his book, uh, The Eye of the Storm, tells a story of a fishing trip where his dad, every year the family at spring break went on this huge fishing trip, fishing. Whole family would go, well, this year, spring break, the family couldn't go, so his dad said, well, you and I, and you can take a friend and we'll go. So Max Lucado, Max and Mark, his best friend and his dad loaded up the camp, camper trailer, the canvas walls, the Coleman kind, and headed out to the lake to fish. And so they got there late at night, set up their trailer and everything, and they got ready to fish the next morning. Well, a, a, a nor'easter, a huge wind came through, and it was so freezing, there were white caps on the, on the lake. And so dad said, well, we can't fish today. We'll have to stay inside because it's so cold. But we have Monopoly, and we can read the old Reader's Digest. So the next morning they get up after sitting around all that day, and it's, it's, it's raining raining and it's freezing so dad says you know what we're gonna have to spend another day in the camper trailer the next day it's raining and there's ice third day they're still in that little camper trailer by now monopoly's not doing a thing for them they've read all the readers digest and it's it's not looking good max Lucado writes that he saw something different in his friend mark that whenever he told his friend mark that his feet really stunk his friend mark never really appreciated it his dad was grumpy because whenever Max would tell him how bad the eggs were, dad would say, well, do it yourself. He noticed that in his two companions that they were getting grumpy and they were, back, they were biting at each other and being snippy and rude. Turns out it's not just those two, it was Max too, right? But that's what happens. And Max Lucado uh, said that they, there was a sense of irritation, a sense of frustration that was being taken out on each other. So he wrote these words and I, I'll just share them with you. He said, I learned a hard lesson that week. Not about fishing, but about people. When those who are called to, called to fish don't fish, they fight. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of extending helping hands, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. Rather than helping the hurting, we hurt the helpers. The result, church scrooges. Bah humbug spirituality. BDI searching for warts on others while ignoring the warts on the nose below. Crooked fingers that bypass strengths and point out weaknesses. Split churches, poor testimonies, broken hearts, legalistic wars. And sadly, the poor go unfed, confused go uncounseled, and lost go unreached. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. He said this as we close this portion. Make note of that. The next time the challenge is outside, tempt you to shut the door and stay inside. Stay long enough to get warm, then get out. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. My friends, the church is called to go fishing. And when we don't fish, we fight. And I, I, I've seen it. We're not called to stay inside these four walls and look at it as our little castle. We're called to let this be a, 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 a jumping off point into the world around us. No matter how scary, no matter how in turmoil, no matter how crazy it gets, you and I are to shine like the stars and point people to the open door of Jesus, no matter what. That's the call. 
Because when, we, when fishermen don't fish, when fisher people don't fish, they fight. Jesus said these words. He said, I know, your, I know your works. Behold. He's saying, look. That means to behold. See. Look around you. I have set before you an open door and no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus is saying it's time for the church to lift up its eyes again. For me, that's what the Lord is saying. Lift up your eyes and look around. Jesus is saying to me and to us, I've, I've set an open door before, before you. And friends, it's time to walk through that door. Help people know Jesus and experience life change. That's been our mission for years. It's time to go fishing. You need to remember this as I close for the first of three times. <laughs> you need to remember this. We're living in a time of philosophical collapse. Nobody knows what to believe about anything. I mean, the world is turned upside down. No one knows what to believe. I'm on a tangent, but I, I, I'm going to say this. If you're spending all your time in one camp and at least not looking at what's being thought of in another camp, you're hurting yourself and others. Let me give you an example. If you're spending all your time, all your time watching CNN, you're making a big mistake. Don't know what man's because I'm going to pick on Fox News in a minute. <laughs> My recommendation is turn them both off. But if you're just spending all your time there and not at least hearing the other side, you become ingrained. You begin to huddle with your little group. Right? If you're, if you're a Fox News person, I've seen it time and again. You begin to huddle with your own little group and anyone that doesn't go along with what you say it becomes the enemy in both camps. That's what happens, and that's what is happening, and it's not just happening out there, it's happening in the church. And Jesus would say these words, and I'm paraphrasing, shame on us, because that's not the call of the church. We're called to be fishers. So we, we go out into a world that is, is collapsing, I, ideologies are collapsing, even, even democracy is under, is under attack for crying out loud. And, and these are the things we, we need to be care of. So in that light of that context, we need to give someone... We need to give them someone to believe in, and his name is Jesus. If you're trying to believe in any guy on this planet, you are making the hugest mistake of your life. There's only one who's worthy of my followership. His name is Jesus. And we need to come to that party. Let's give them Jesus. So, people are afraid. People are afraid. My goodness. My goodness. Inflation at 10, 11%, it's probably higher. You walk into the store and you go, ooh. You go to the gas pump, you start praying for a miracle. <laughs> By the way, the gas pump thing, did you know in Denmark, it's over $10 a gallon? In, in Canada, where I was just at, it's over $7.5 a gallon. So I just point that out as point of comparison. People are afraid. Well, let's give them hope found in Jesus. He is our hope and our salvation. People are looking for someone to trust. Let's point them to the one who is holy and true. There's a door of opportunity and we need to walk through it. Time for a commercial. That's why Vacation Bible School and, and camp is so important. Have you tried camp? It is really good. Never mind. If I don't have, if, I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit of the Lord just hit you over the head. That's in a, in a nice sort of way. My second time closing. Three things real quickly. Are you ready? Three things. Number one, we're replacing the carpet. That doesn't sound so spiritual other than I'll say, but we're not taking an offering. And some of you are going to say, thank you, Jesus. 
Um, but we're replacing the carpet. We have the funds to do it, and we've saved it up, and we have it, and we're going we're gonna to replace the carpet. It's really pretty. And this is, if you take these chairs away, you'll see how bad this carpet really is. We're replacing the carpet. I just thought I'd share that with you. <laughs> That's not really a door of opportunity. We have the money. We need to spend it to make this place look a little nicer. Uh, but let me tell you about a door of opportunity. We're not asking, we're not, I'm not going to take an offering for that, but I'm, I'm probably going to eventually take an offering for this. Did you know that because of the economy we are in, more and more people are using the food banks? I mean, it's, it's crazy out there. The, the reports we're getting from the Sumner and, and Bonnie Lake Food Bank is that they're, they're serving more people than ever before. And, there, and, and everyone, if you've gone to them, man, everyone needs help from time to time. But that's an open door that we can walk through. There's a, on, on the app, online, there's a, we put a, a line for uh, giving to the food banks. If you'd like to give, in, in, before COVID, I'd have just said, I need $100 from 100 people, and I, I'd have just waited until I got it, and we'd have been here all day if necessary. But <laughs> I'm just joking with you. But that's changed. But if you'd like to give, here's the thing. I don't have to use the food bank. After church, Mary and I will take our family. We'll probably go eat somewhere. And it's not if, it's where. But there are people today who are struggling. You say, Pastor Ray, that's not the Lord's will that I give to that. Well, then you've obviously never heard the Lord's will before. Because the Bible says when you get a cup of cold water in his name. So I'm telling you to give when you can and sacrifice, it is the will of God for everyone here. Right? No, just think on it, and you'll see that I, I'm right. <laughs> I'm right. So I'm going to ask you to give. Well, okay, Ray, I'll take my regular giving and give it to the food bank. No, don't do that, or I will have to take an offering. <laughs> um, you know, regular stuff. Uh, this needs to be a sacrifice. This is what we call sacrificial giving, and we need to help where we can. You can give at the back. It, if you can bring a check by the office, but Wednesday we're going to take a bunch of stuff to the food banks. We're going to give them a check. We're going to give them food. We're going to help because we're at the church. We're at the church, and there's a need that we can meet. So we need to, and we're going to. Okay, that's close number two or three, I don't know. Last thing I'll say is this, last thing. Next week we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table or communion, the, last, the supper, the, a sacred meal. We're gonna break the bread, drink the wine, the juice. Uh, this class at, at uh, Regent, uh, I was reading the different table of contents on these old books written by the Puritans and every single one of them when I look through the contents and it's old English it's hard to read it said that they have a, a, an entire chapter on preparing for communion you know the way we do communion I'm not knocking it well I am a little I am a lot we got to change it examining your heart 30 seconds before Communion makes no sense to me anymore. I think we ought to take a week. I think we ought to prepare our hearts for the next week to take communion next weekend. Does that make sense? Well, it may not, but it, it will. 
we're going to give you helps, Taylor, and we're going to work on, I, I hate pointing people to Facebook, dear Lord in heaven, but we're going to put some stuff on Facebook starting tomorrow, uh, and then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, maybe we'll do what we did, we'll, we'll get everyone together, we'll sing, and the other Taylor, Taylor two or three will lead us in uh, uh, worship, and then we'll, we'll just prepare our hearts. I just have a real sense that that's what the Lord's saying to me. That's why I took this class. I don't, I don't need any more. I just need more. I need to be touched by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to prepare our hearts all week for communion. We will examine. The Bible says everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. We're going to examine. We're going to examine the areas of our life that might need repentance. Are, is there anything you're harboring in your soul that you need to let go of? I'm going to search mine. We're going to examine our faith. Where are we in our followership of Jesus? Do I love him enough to follow him? We're going to examine maybe our, our gratitude. Do I have a heart of gratitude for what the Lord has blessed me with? When I, when I fill out and we pay our bills uh, this week, will I just stop and say, Lord, thank you that I can pay this credit card off? Or am I, am I taking too much for granted and I don't even stop to say, Lord, thank you for what I have. Thank you for my home. Thank you for everything you've blessed me with. I, I want us to examine our, our love for other people. In light of COVID and all that stuff, we've got to realign ourselves with the mission. It's time to go fishing. So we're going to do that all week. And then we're going to come together and we're going to celebrate communion. You know, this class has made me rethink communion, baptism, the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot that the Lord is working on in me. And he wants to do the same in you. So we're going to sing. We're going to sing. And then uh, we're going to, I'm going to come up. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray. Specifically, we're going to pray for Scott and Ann, the two who led us primarily in worship this morning. Uh, Scott and Ann have, re have received a call to go and become worship pastors at a church, another church. And I'm sad. I I'm, 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 I'm sad they're leaving us, but excited for them to go fulfill the purposes of God in their life. And we love them, and they've been part of our congregation. And we're going to, we've prayed for them the last two services, but I want you to have opportunity to pray for them in this new endeavor, because we're excited for them. That's right where the Lord wants them, and so we're, we're just so excited. We're sad that they're leaving. They've been with us for a long time. But how many know that when God closes one door, he opens another, and God is opening a door for them? So stand with me. Let's worship the Lord together.